Welcome to Advancing Word with Dr. T.D. Stubblefield. In chapter 55 of Isaiah, verse 11, God tells the prophet, So will my word be which goes out of my mouth. It will not return to me void without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. Standing on this promise, T.D. Stubblefield Ministries is committed to sharing biblical principles with individuals, families, churches, communities, and our world, believing that only the Word of God can advance us in God's perfect plan for our lives, where we can experience liberating faith, lasting hope, and unconditional love in a relationship with the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is Dr. T.D. Stubblefield with today's Advancing Word. a short passage that I want to share from this morning, and if you push me, you know what push means, pray until something happens. If you push, I won't be long uh, this morning. Mark chapter 1, verse 1, and we will read this uh, in the King James Version, just a short verse that uh, uh, will be the uh, context and the collector of our thoughts uh, this morning. It reads the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Amen. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I want to share for just a little while this morning the theme celebrating the beginning of something big. Our celebrations, uh, whatever form they take, are often linked to or tethered to or somehow connected to something important, to something memorable, uh, to something impactful, to something moving that has taken place in our lives. When we think about this passage, it's notable that the word beginning just jumps out at you in the first verse. One of the noticeable patterns, and I've been praying and contemplating the word of God around this seasonal theme of Advent, the coming of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and I never quite thought about the four Gospels in this way. There are four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and two of them, Matthew and Luke, have genealogies. And you know what I mean when I say genealogies. There are accounts of the lineage of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Matthew's account traces his lineage from Abraham down through 42 generations. And then Luke's account is the account that spans the gulf or the gap between the first Adam and the second Adam. Of course, the second Adam is Jesus Christ. But the genealogy in Luke traces the Lord's lineage all the way back to the garden and to Adam and to Eve. That's reported in two of the Gospels. But then I reflected upon this and it became apparent that while Mark and John do not have genealogies, both of them in the first verse of those books implicitly acknowledges that there is a lineage because in both of those books we have in the first verse of the first chapter the word beginning 
Here we have the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And in John chapter 1, verse 1, we have in the beginning was the word. And so there is a sense, while it's not as explicit in Mark and in John, that all of the gospels acknowledge, and if you get behind the Greek of the word beginning, it literally is acknowledging a beginning that was not a beginning. Because God has always been. There's never a time when God was not. And so when we look at this passage and we see this note, this, uh, this reference to the beginning, I explored a little deeper and asked the text if in fact we're celebrating the beginning of something big, what is it that we're doing? I mean, that's another way of thinking about what's going on in our lives as Christians during this season. We're celebrating the beginning of something big, but what makes it big? What makes it momentous? What makes it important? What, what makes it impactful and significant? In the first instance, we're celebrating the beginning with something big because there is the repeal of the silence. The repeal of the silence, or the interruption of the silence, or the reversal of the silence. From a chronological point of view, Bible scholars know that between the last book of the Old Testament and the gospel records, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there is a period of 400 years of silence. There is no prophetic voice. Uh, there is no prophetic word during these four centuries. And then we have the Gospels. And the silence is repealed. A parallel is uh, how the book of Genesis opened. There is this silence. There is this darkness. There is this deafness. The earth was without form and void. And darkness was upon the face of the deep. And God said... He broke the silence. As I think about celebrating the beginning of something big, this might be the day that the silence is broken in your experience. One of the most difficult aspects of the Christian life is during those periods when we feel as if God is not saying anything to us. It's hard to endure. Those moments when trouble's on every hand, and yet, there is no word from the Lord. Our ancestors uh, would come to the church, and they wanted, above all else, to hear a word from the Lord. Helmut Thielich, a German theologian of the last century, in a book called The Silence of God, he noted that the silence of God is the ultimate test of one's faith. Job's trials and tribulations were exacerbated by the fact that God had not spoken to him. And when you're reading Job for 37 chapters, 37 chapters, there's 42 in the book, but 37, not a word. Somebody's feeling like that. You, you say, I'm going through it right now. I don't know why it is, but, but listen, if I just had a word, 
37 chapters, not a word. And then in chapter 38, God said something. And he spoke to him out of the midst of a whirlwind. And when God says it, that settles it. Somebody feel like the disciple did on that stormy sea. And the Lord is asleep. And they asked the question. It's, it's a question that probably we would ask too. Lord, our master careth thou not that we perish. But you know what's wrong with the question? The question is not rooted in reality because no ship with Jesus aboard will ever sink. Mary and Martha endured four days of gut-wrenching silence. They'd sent a message to the Lord and said, the one you love is sick. And when the silence was broken, Lazarus had already died. The Lord, he shows up with so much power that when he walks up to the grave, you get the sense that if he just said, come forth, everybody would have got up. But he said, Lazarus, come forth. 400 years, not a word. And in this verse, it Mark, and, and I, I chose Mark because in the synoptic gospels, all of Mark is in Matthew and Luke. So it is believed as the gospels were compiled that Mark was a primary source and perhaps the first one that was written. For 400 years, not a word, but God provided sound for the silence. Sound for the silence. The point I'm trying to make today is that God will speak into your situation. And when he does, it could be the beginning of something big. In the beginning of the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. There was the repeal of the silence. Yeah. It was also something else. When, when I looked at this verse, there's something else in here. There's the revelation of the Son. Not just the repeal of the silence, but look. There is the revelation or the unveiling, you could even say incarnation, of the Son. This word that is spoken is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the beginning of something big because it announces the revelation of the Son. All the prophetic books converge now on this event. Nothing is left to speculation. It is Jesus Christ that is in view. This revelation involves a name that is above every name. And it is a name that the father chose for his son. It's the beginning of something big because the name means, in the Hebrew and the Greek, it means the one who will save his people from sin. Oh, it's a magnificent and it's a marvelous name. I love that name, y'all. You know what the Bible says about that name? Neither is there salvation in any other name. For there is none other name. None other name. 
Acts 4 and 12, given where by men must be saved. I'm talking about it was the beginning of something big because it is the revelation of the Son. That name is so powerful, so prolific that the Bible says there will come a time we haven't arrived at that point yet where every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess in the presence of the one who has that name. God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. Jesus Christ, the second part of that name, ascribes his official roles because it's the New Testament translation, the Greek is, of what the Old Testament Messiah is. The one who is the anointed one. He is I'm talking about the revelation of the Son. He is prophet, priest, and king. And all of these offices involved at the coronation and all was poured down from the head to the foot to anoint them to those offices. And so in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus goes into the synagogue in Galilee and he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. And he's anointed me. He is the Christos. He is the one who is priestly love and prophetic light. He is Christos. Spirit of the Lord is upon me and he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. To give sight to the blind and to heal the brokenhearted. I love that name. I love calling on the name of Jesus. Sometimes my prayer, you know, when you're tired and you're weary, you know, you don't have a lot of words, but, but if you can't do nothing else, just say Jesus. If you just say Jesus, there's power in the name. When you say Jesus, the demons in hell will tremble. When you say Jesus, angels in heaven sing hallelujah, Jesus. The beginning of the gospel. This is not just any gospel. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So there is the. There is the repeal of the silence. There is the revelation of the son. But there is something else in this celebration of the beginning of something big. There is the remission of the sin. Or you could say the redemption of the sinner, whichever works for you. Uh, the remission of the sin. When you read this passage and, and the verses that follow it, John's voice was interim. I'm talking about John the Baptist. He, he was an interim player. His ministry, while prolific, was a provisional ministry. It fills the gap. He came out from the wilderness. This brother had some weird wardrobe ideas, uh, dressed in camel's hair. And he had a weird diet, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And he declared that you should come and be baptized for the remission of sin. But John understood that his ministry was interim, that it was provisional. He says it in the Gospel of John this way. He says, I must decrease so he will increase. And then when he sees the Lord coming, 
He says, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. One of the favorite Christmas hymns sang over the centuries of the church's life is Behold the Lamb. And John sees him coming and said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. You see, when the Lord decided to deal ultimately and finally with the sin problem, God the Father, even at the foundation of the world, he looked around and said, Who will go for us? And out from the Father's throne crept a little lamb. Oh, I believe he came down through 42 generations. And y'all know the story, he dies for our sin. That's why this passage is the celebration of the beginning of something big. It is a story that has a beginning, but does not have an ending. This morning, when we look at this passage, the celebration is just beginning. John said, I baptize you with water, but there's one coming after me whose shoe latchets I'm not able to unloose. And he will baptize you with the Holy Ghost. But that's not how the story ends. Jesus grows up in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. And when he's at the age of 12 years old, Bible says he walks up to the Pharisaic leaders in Jerusalem and have the audacity to tell them as a 12-year-old that I must be about my father's business. But the story doesn't end there. Uh, he gets up in the midst of a stormy sea. And when it seems like all is lost, he just speaks to the storm and say, peace be still. But I have to tell you, I can't stop there because it gets better. He's faced with a multitude of a crowd and he says to the disciples, you feed these folk. And they said, we checked the treasury and we don't have enough money to feed everybody. He said, now just search the crowd and tell me what you find. And they found a little boy with a few loaves of bread uh, and a few small fish uh, and they gave it to the Lord uh, and when he got through working with it uh, he fed 5,000 men uh, not counting uh, women and children uh, but the story uh, gets a little better uh, a man who had laid uh, most of his life uh, by the pool of Bethesda uh, and the Lord came by and said Listen, if you got the wheel, uh, I've got the power. Uh, why don't you pick up your bed uh, and walk? Uh, and the man walked that day. Uh, but that's not uh, how the story ends. Uh, it's reported uh, about this beginning uh, that he was led uh, from Judgment Hall uh, to Judgment Hall. 
Paul. Uh, he was tried uh, and he was convicted uh, and he was put on uh, an old rugged cross. Uh, but I'm celebrating today uh, because that's not how uh, the story ends. Uh, he died uh, on an old rugged cross. Uh, uh, yes, he did. Uh, they tell me uh, they stretched him wide and dropped him low and hung him high. But he stayed there until my sin was paid for and your sin was atoned for. And when he got good and ready, he tucked his head in the locks of his shoulder and he died. Yes, he did. But that's not how the story ends. I'm celebrating the beginning of something big. They tell me they put him in a bar or tomb and they left him there for about three days. But early Sunday morning he got up with all power in his hands. Stayed here for 40 days and then took a cloud and went back to glory. But that's not how the story ends. The Bible tells me what he's doing right now is he sat down at the right hand of the Father just to make intercession for me and you. And so when I don't pray and you don't pray, I'm still covered. I'm still covered. I do have a witness, but that's not how the story ends. I'm so glad. I'm so glad. Some glad morning. Some glad morning. Some glad morning. When this life is over, I'll fly away to be at rest. But that's not how the story ends. That's not how. That's not how the story ends. When I've been there 10,000 years, 10,000 years, 10,000 years, bright and shining as a new day sun, I'm no less days, no less days to sing God praise. The beginning of something big. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The repeal of the silence. The revelation of the son and the remission of the sin. Everything else pales in relationship to that story. It is a never ending story. You have been listening to Advancing Word with Dr. T.D. Stubblefield. We pray that you have been encouraged with what your ears have heard and your hearts have felt. Explore our website at tdstubblefield.org for more information about us and to obtain resources provided by T.D. Stubblefield Ministries. Until next time, be blessed and remember to stop stressing and start stepping, advancing in faith, hope, and love by reading and applying the Word of God so you can stand on certain truth for uncertain times.